I hope you listened to part one. Here is part two of the most recent As Lutheran As It Gets episode. We're going through Luther's Galatians commentary by Geraldo Camacho, translated, uh, published by 1517 Publishing. It's a great commentary. You should pick it up. So now, continuing with our conversation. There is no medication for the mortified and perturbed conscience when it is under condemnation of eternal death. It must take hold of the promise of grace offered in Christ Jesus. That is, unless it takes hold of this passive righteousness or Christian righteousness. Think about that. There is no medication for the mortified, perturbed conscience when it is under condemnation of eternal death. It must take hold of the promise of grace offered in Christ Jesus. It must. If it is able, if it's able to grasp it, then the conscience will find rest. Mm. It will trustingly say, quote, I don't seek this act of righteousness or the righteousness of works, even though I know I must also have it and fulfill it. But even if I had it and fulfilled it without a doubt, even so, I could not trust it. Neither could I bring it as a defense against God's judgment. Therefore, I will strip myself of all act of righteousness, mine as well as that as that of God's law, and embrace only the path of righteousness, the righteousness of grace, based on God's mercy and his forgiveness of sins. In summary, I find rest only on this righteousness, that is the righteousness of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And this is in italics. We don't produce it, but we submit to bear it. It is not found within us, but we receive it as a gift from God the Father through Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful rhetorical technique that Luther does often, right? Yes. Where he yes. Um, will personify some something that isn't a person, right? So your Correct. conscience doesn't have a separate identity, <laughs> contrary yes. to what we talked about with like Gemini Cricket, right? Right. Or the saint, the saint and the de- the demon on either mm-hmm. shoulder, the mm-hmm. angel and demon, right? Um, but here Luther does it in a way of amplifying then right. what the scripture, which is teach. very Pauline, right? Romans chapter seven, mm-hmm. Paul assumes the question about grace and sin. And and then he rushes ahead and says, before you can ask, shall we sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Yeah. And by, and before you ask, is God's law bad because the gospel is good? Absolutely not. That's the old Adam sinner's way of thinking. Oh, so then I have to save myself. Let me stop you right there. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful rhetorical yeah. device. So here Luther, he creates this dialogue of the conscience, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's having this conversation. Which is such a great point for sermon writing, right? You and I talk about this off the air. Is when I talk about practical preaching, I think this is what I'm after: is mm, okay. assu- assuming the questions of your congregation. And if you, as a pastor, are tuned into your congregation, you're in a conversation with them constantly. You can assume the questions with a certain level of veracity. Mm-hmm. Sure, you, you can anticipate what they're going to say. You might be able to guess uh, based off of mm-hmm. kind of a societal situation or whatnot. What happens in Bible study? What happens in private conversations? Right. Never in the confessional, by the way. Mm-mm. Never do that. But rather, you can assume the question based on the conversation and blow it up then and ask, well, what is really at the root of that question in Bible study? Or what is at the root of that comment you made? So that when I mention it in the sermon, you're not going to say, oh, that's from the conversation we had the other day, but rather what underlies that question. Yeah, you're not obfuscating it or kind of 
saying, well, someone said to me someday, no, <laughs> right. which they're still going to figure that out. They, they right. were talking about that. Can you imagine if you preach the way that, that, that like when people come up to you and go past you, some people have been talking or <laughs> oh, some no. people were saying, which can we you imagine hate, preaching which that way? Hate. Some people in church were saying the other day, you know, just people, people would stop coming to church. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you do have the audacity to say, uh, repeat that conversation, then I guess you just name them. Say. Right. You might as well at that point because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Right. But the the point being, um, not not to obfuscate what was said, mm-hmm. but rather to, conf- you know, to bring it right into its universality. I guess we might say right. it that way. Right. So, like you said, expand it or, or broaden it. Well, at least two of my favorite comics in interviews have said what they do with a joke is exactly that: that they they hear something or they see something. And then they, they find humor in just kind of the, the shallow outward presentation of that thing. Okay. And then they take it and then they begin to strip away the layers and ask, why do I find this funny? And what's the funny in this tragic event, for example? Because the funniest jokes are often um, coded with tragedy. Well, and the goal of the comic is not to get one person to laugh. Right. But rather, again, to address what is universally true to all of us. Mm-hmm. It's why do people laugh still at the Three Stooges? Why do people laugh at Bugs Bunny cartoons, the Chuck Jones Bugs Bunny cartoons, or the Tom and Jerry cartoons, Chuck Jones again? Mm-hmm. What is it about the inherent violence that takes place in these in slapstick comedy that causes us still to laugh to this day? Because the violence is inherent to the system. Right, and there's an absurdity to the violence. There, But the violence is an outgrowth, a manifestation of the absurdity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah thinking that you know how to do plumbing, for example, one of my favorite Three Stooges skits, they're sure. trying to fix some yeah. plumbing, right? And and Mo is hitting uh, Curly with the pipe, and oh no, pipe, Curly keeps hitting Mo with the pipe, and then, you know, uh, it gets squirted in the eye with the water, and so then Mo goes over with the, the mallet and hits him on the head, and, and as happens. Um, same thing, Buster Keaton, I'll, I love Buster Keaton, love, love, love Buster Keaton. Um, what is it about Buster Keaton that makes me just laugh out loud and, and it's the absurdity of it mm-hmm. is he's taking a, a normal situation and and saying this is absurd yeah something we've all experienced and then just right and, and ratcheting it up just one level uh, right to the point of absurdity sure so my opinion is bad comedy is you're lecturing me because you're an idealist and you don't like the way things are happening in society and you're using comedy quote-unquote comedy as an excuse to lecture me about right. the right wrongness of this this political or social point. Whereas a great comedian can take that point and instead of lecturing me about it, again, will reveal the absurdity of it and the absurdity of being for or against it and find the underlying thesis, the thing that really makes it what it is mm. and go, we're all guilty of this. Right. We all think this way one way or the other. Yeah, that's true. And so to repeat what Luther says, I find rest only on this righteousness that is the righteousness of Christ and the Holy Spirit. We don't produce it, but we submit to bearing it. That's our cross, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's the language of bearing. That literally passive righteousness is our cross. That we As, are forgiven freely for Christ's sake. Right. It's not, it's not easy to bear. Right. As one professor said to me, sanctification in a sense is just getting used to being forgiven. Mm-hmm. Because what do we do with our sanctification? We turn it into an act of work. I must become holy now that Jesus has forgiven my sin. Otherwise, he'll take it back. Which is just wrong on so many levels. 
But it's just, it's the old Adam trying to play God, trying to be God in God's place to think for God. Like, I think I've got the psychology of the divine master pretty much nailed down. He forgives my sins for Jesus' sake, but then he actually does expect me to become holy. Otherwise, he will take it back. This is why we reject object of justification. Well, you even see this with, like, say things that on the surface would seem to be outward righteousness, human mm-hmm. righteousness, like like the sacrifices of the Old Testament, right? Yeah, like, right. Like God God commands all these sacrifices and if you do them you will you will live, you'll be righteous. And yes. and you look at then actually at the text, when he actually gives the sacrifice and he imparts this whole system upon them. Mm-hmm. Right. He attaches promises to the sacrifice. He says Correct. I am both the giver of the sacrifice and I am Exactly. I've given sacrifice. And and this is all obviously forgiveness of sins, pointing forward to the ones mm-hmm. and full sacrifice, where again he supplies the sacrifice, he makes the sacrifice, he is right. the sacrifice, and and it's all given as a gift. So yeah, we'll read the Old Testament thing, Old Testament sacrificial system as our sacrifice rather than God's I was just sacrifice. Say, to that's, us. Like, that's actually the perfect analogy or the perfect example of how we confuse active and passive righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over and over he says you do that. This this gives you forgiveness of sins, right? <laughs> this sacrifice, right. and you right. say, "Oh, but it's mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my animal. I had to get from my flock. You know, I had to buy right. from buy from the seller with my money." Right. <sighs> yes. When we turn from the passive righteousness of faith to the act of righteousness of our doing, it becomes mechanical, and we see this over and over again, especially in Deuteronomy, for example, mm-hmm. uh, or just in First and Second Chronicles or first and second kings that when done in faith forgiveness sins right up front god's the giver and the gift when it becomes about our doing it becomes mechanical oh i sinned on saturday so i gotta kill two turtle doves and a goat this afternoon well, and i'll be right back that's the example that comes to mind can you imagine kind of the mental wrangling that you have to do is say wait a minute god gave me an option on this one he said either two turtle doves or two pigeons right. oh, should i be the pigeons should it be the turtle doves because you know am i right, rich yeah. or am i poor today what I, I can't figure it out you know and it's like, wait Which a minute, you forgot. It's for forgiveness. into the late medieval penitential system. Oh, where there's Which, graduation and of, of, of the system, orders? Well, absolutely right. The, yeah. the penitential system is, are you repentant? Prove it. It becomes mechanical at that point. I don't care if you believe in this stuff. Mm-hmm. you got to do this stuff. Otherwise, you're going to hell. And then the act of penance is prescribed based off the severity of the sin. Correct. Correct. Or right. the amount say, of quantity or the, whatever. The old yeah. joke, well, you have to say 10 Hail Marys, 33 Our Fathers, go pick up garbage in the ditch for the next month and a half la 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 la, and that'll prove that you're worthy to come back to the table mm. which modern pro- protestantism picked up and ran with as if without a hiccup really they didn't even skip while laughing at it right yeah. while mocking it they became the very thing they mocked hmm. which shows an utter lack of awareness at an institutional level yeah luther yeah. continues then a parched land cannot through its efforts bring on itself the joyful satisfaction of a long torrential rain Neither can it produce rain through its own splendor and strength. Instead, it receives the rain as a gift from God. There it is again. Mm-hmm. Gift. It's all gift. In the same way, God gives us this heavenly righteousness without our merits or our works. Just write a little exclamation mark right next to that. Yeah. I mean, the parallel being um, <laughs> our merit and works are a parched land. Correct. Running with Luther's analogy here. And just to remind uh, you listeners, we're still in his opening lecture on what he's going to be lecturing about. (laughs) This isn't even his point. He's just introducing what he's going to lecture about. Mm -hmm. This is why not only is this an attack on the late medieval Roman system, but this is an attack on modern Protestantism. 
whatever, whatever shape that takes. Hmm. So just as <laughs> so it's all a gift in the same way, God gives us this heavenly righteousness without our merits or our works. So just as much as the earth is unable to bring on itself rain showers to make its fruit grow, we are unable through our works and strength to bring on ourselves this heavenly and eternal righteousness. We would never obtain it except that God freely imputes it to us. We acquire it only as a gift from God. Is anything that he has said here different than his explanation of the third article of the Creed and the Catechism? No. I mean, this is essentially what he says, right? Without, beyond our reason and our strength. Like, I can't by my own reason or strength come to Jesus Christ my Lord or believe in him. I think, But the, the Holy Spirit calls me. Well, and I think the key is in the third article and then here, what righteousness, what works are we talking about, right? Correct. And we're talking about the works of faith, the, work, the righteousness of faith. We're talking of then uh, in the third article about the works of the Spirit in gathering the church. Correct. Which is where he- Fruits of the Spirit. Where yeah. he gives. Yes. Gives yes. This, this faith and get the righteousness of this faith. Yeah. Yes. Luther continues, words fail us <laughs> to describe its worth. Therefore, the totality of a Christian's wisdom is to be unacquainted with the law. Ignore all the works of active righteousness, especially when the conscience struggles against God's judgments. However, the highest wisdom and knowledge of those who do not belong to God's people is to fathom the depths of the law and urge its works and active righteousness. Hmm. Wow. So it is not the religion. It's not. It's not a faithful religion. If that's correct, what you spend your time and effort on, and right. trying to figure out um, the depths of the law and how right. we can how we can have a more God pleasing church, society, family, whatever it is. Right. So, and I, I don't know if I, I think I mentioned it on this podcast, but every summer during my graduate work, I would sit with my graduate advisor Jim Nestigan, and we would read this out loud to each other the Galatians lectures and we switch off. So every other summer was the bondage of the will or Galatians. And we would just read this out loud to each other, which now that we're doing it again, and I haven't, I read Galatians every year, but I just jump around through it. Sure. The parts that I like, you know, the highlights. So reading through this again, this in order really does explain why I have so much trouble. <laughs> it's a thing, right? Oh, it's amazing. But the, the one statement in there, the totality of the Christian's wisdom is to be unacquainted with the law. Yeah, right. Like, wait, forget the how, law? What? How much does that offend us, man? <sighs> the totality of a Christian's wisdom is to be unacquainted with the law, ignore all works of active righteousness, especially when the conscience struggles against God's judgment. However, on the other hand, mm. lest you think I'm saying, go be an antinomian, or Paul's an antinomian, mm -hmm. or Luther or Riley or Gillespie are antinomians, in regards to the civic realm, the social realm, in regards to the family, the home, the community, and so forth, no. The highest wisdom is the knowledge of the law right. and act of righteousness. Right, so actually uh, assisting people pastorally, you know, with the, with the yes. care of their family or how to be a responsible right. citizen or whatnot, this, that, that is... That, that civic righteousness, that uh, active righteousness that we have, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the problem here that Luther is getting at is when we confuse that with righteousness before God. Right. Right? That, 100%. And so he's, he wants us to be careful, and that's why he laid that out right at the beginning of the argument, 
Correct. We we need to properly delineate these the, the ways that the law work. Right. You know, and 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 where it's active and then where it's passive, where God's right. word is passive, right? And to circle back around to how this overlaps when the young girl, when the young woman has the baby and decides mm-hmm. not to have the abortion. And then when the baby's born, keeps the baby. Mm-hmm. And then the baby is brought into the Christian community. And it is the baby is loved. The baby's baptized. The baby is grounded in the forgiveness of sins in the same way the mother is. And then the grandparents are brought back in to say, this is a gift. Now, what was seen originally as a burden that was unbearable, that must be gotten rid of, becomes the catalyst for restoring the entire family to the church. Yeah, And thus... Is that an act of righteousness? 100% we would argue it's an act of righteousness. You didn't commit abortion. You didn't have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and But yet, simultaneously, it's passive righteousness because through the the human, what do you want to say, the human tradition, the, the civic exercise of righteousness, it creates the opportunity for re-entrance into this passive righteousness, the righteousness of faith. Would you say it this way, that, that the active or the act of love um, towards one another, yes. Um, in maybe in a in a shallow or incomplete way, reveals the love of God towards us. That's. I mean, I know that's imperfect. Well, biblically speaking, but biblically speaking, that is that's First John, man. What love is He first loved us, right? They we will love know each other as He first loved us, and they will know us um, in the right. way that we love one another. Yeah, right. And and yeah, love not as the world loves conditionally with with limits and measures and qualifications, but love in the way that Jesus has loved us without limits, measures, or qualifications. Right. And is that scary? A hundred percent. It's basically like walking a tightrope without the tightrope. You're basically stepping off the edge of the building and there's no tightrope. But yet again, you're falling back on what Luther's pointed out here. This is the work of the righteousness of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And the gospel is the power of God into salvation to all who believe. And the word of God will not go out and return empty-handed. Therefore, as a pastor, you've got to cling to this reality yeah. and to say, yes, I understand the social ramifications of your decision. Yes, I can understand and appreciate why you would want to make this decision and why you're here talking to me right now. However, as your pastor, let me try and broaden your perspective. Let me try and elevate your consciousness, so to speak, in a very crude way by pointing you to baptism, the forgiveness of sins, your place in the community, in the body of Christ. Right. Because I don't think you're seeing the whole thing. I think you're seeing a very narrow picture of what is a huge mural. Yeah, this is a momentary affliction. (laughs) Right, yeah, it's a momentary decision that will affect you for the rest of your life. Right. Versus now, Hmm. yeah. Hmm. You're on the other side of it and say, man, out of something that was a sin and a rebellion against God's will, this whole family has been restored. As if it's almost biblical. Yeah, that God would even use our disobedience uh, and and still work his righteousness in us, you know, passively. Seems like that's kind of the way it works in the Bible, at least. Yeah. Going back to Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees. Yeah, or Abraham and passing off his wife, not once, but twice. Twice. Luther continues, however, it is something quite odd and unheard of in the world to teach Christians to want nothing to do with the law and to live like that before God, as if the law didn't exist. But you cannot be saved unless you want nothing to do with the law, and are confidently persuaded in your heart that God's law and wrath no longer exist, but only his grace and mercy through the gift of Christ. Mm -hmm. Gift, gift, gift. 
Yeah, there's a little it's like he's drumming there. this into a student's head, right? Just gift, gift, gift. Probably had it written up on the board. Yeah. That is because through the law only comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 3, verse 20. Still, on the other hand, the world should be pressured to produce good works and to keep the law, as if there were no promise or grace. This is because of the stubborn, proud, and hard-hearted. Their eyes should see nothing but the law, so that they will be scared to death and humbled. That is, you are nothing, and you shall return to the nothing. Hmm. Because the law is given to frighten them to death and knock them down and to harass the old man. Again, the old, who's the law for? The old man. Mm -hmm. Who is the gospel for? The new man in Christ. Therefore, Article 6, Third Use of the Law, Formula of Concord. Read it carefully, folks. Mm -hmm. It's laid out right there. They're just repeating what Luther taught in Galatians right here. The law is for the old Adam to basically compel him by threats of violence and force and damnation to do what the new man does spontaneously. It's kind of a bully, right? See how you're going to handle that old man. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Therefore, the word of grace and the word of wrath should be rightly handled according to the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 2. Then what uh, Walter calls the proper distinction, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. It's interesting Walter goes to 2 Timothy, whereas Luther goes to John. Hmm. But... uh, no, and this is uh, to, to express this in, in house terms. My children all train in jujitsu. And if things get really out of control, my 15-year-old will say to the younger ones, well, you can do that, but I'm just going to choke you out. And then one of the younger ones goes, yeah, but dad said if you touch us, then you have to roll with him for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's that diffuses the situation because as I point out, as the law points out, there's always a bigger bully. Mm-hmm. And the law, the word God's word of law, is the bully of bullies and has the final say in yeah. these matters. Yeah. Oh, you think you're good? Oh, you think you're strong? Oh, you think you're wise? Oh, oh, oh. And what does Paul say about that, right? Hmm. You know, oh, to the, the wisdom of the world. Oh, to the strong. The wisdom of God is foolishness and the strength of God is weakness. How do you look now, old man? <laughs> right. Yeah. And this is the hardest thing in the world. We were actually talking about this yesterday that... People think you train to fight so that you can kick people's butts and be a bully, essentially. Mm. Kind of go around and be like, I'm going to kick your butt if you don't do this. Where, no, the reality of it, if you're a true martial artist, is you learn how to fight so that you never have to fight. Yeah, it's a defensive art. Right. Is not only am I going to take responsibility for my reaction to this situation, but I'm going to take responsibility for your reaction to the situation. Because I actually train in, in combat, and therefore I know what the consequences of this will be if we engage in physical violence toward each other. Yeah. And it's not good so for the, either of us. The deterrent is that you become a threat too. Right? Correct. That there's not and, only yeah, one and then threat. You escalate and yeah, you put your hands on me, then I put them on you and then we can't back down. And then this is just not going to end well. So and for anybody period, right. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. It doesn't matter. And therefore this is what the law is trying to say to us. No matter how you think this is going to turn out, it's not going to turn out well for you. You're going to die. There has to be another way. There has to be another way. And therefore, the old Adam, the old man, needs the law. Why? Because the law brings knowledge of sin. As I said, if you don't think that you ever struggle to believe, you're not looking close enough. <laughs> Dig deeper. Yeah. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> Stop preaching the law in little doses as if it's doable and preach the law in all of its lawfulness, as Paul says in Second Timothy. 
Oh, wretched man that I am. Correct. Mm. Here is where someone wise and faithful is needed to accurately handle the word of God. Someone who is capable of restraining and keeping the law within its limits. Those who teach that people are justified before God by keeping the law trespass the limits of the law. They confuse the two types of righteousness, the active and the passive. They mistakenly end up trying to come up with logical explanations because they do not teach them correctly. But on the other hand, those who lay out the law and works to the old man and the promise and forgiveness of sin, as well as God's mercy to the new man, represent the word correctly. Hmm. Seriously, do you, I mean, if he had died at the end of this first lecture, we would still be reading this. Yeah. We would still say this is one of the best theological treatments ever done. Yeah, I would describe it, I think I did earlier maybe, but I mean, Luther is amplifying Paul's own words. He's, yeah, not, right. he's not bringing something new to the table, this distinction between active and passive righteousness or between right. uh, you know, the works of the law and the works, or the works of the flesh, old man, right. And, right. and the works of God and forgiveness of sins. But, right. but he amplifies it uh, and right. it makes it vivid. You know? And this is the point of law gospel preaching and, and knowing the art of distinguishing law and gospel, practically speaking. Why do we preach the law? Why, do, why must we preach the law on Sundays? Well, are you sitting on your butt in a pew? then you're still in the flesh and therefore the old man needs to be put to death. Right. But yet you're here and you're hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness. That's the new man who needs Christ and the forgiveness of sins and the gifts. And so you need the gospel too. And as Dr. Walter points out in his lectures on law and gospel, the gospel must predominate. It must have the last word, mm -hmm. so to speak. Yeah. And therefore application sermons must not be the conclusion. <laughs> Ironically, Walter himself didn't always follow his own advice. No. Well, distinction of law and gospel, though, I mean, not nailed to it. too much on a tangent. He did nail it, and that's that's his last. It's like it's like Luther's Genesis lectures. That was his last, mm -hmm. his last evening lectures. He was in poor health and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So that comes after a whole lifetime of preaching. Yes, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. So I, you know, when we look at his earlier preaching or other preaching, he's not as consistent as he or as forceful as he is about yeah, I agree. making yeah, that I distinction. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the it's the mature <laughs> Walter. Right. Yeah. I was going to say and it's proven by the fact that when when immature pastors or pastors who don't know how to handle law and gospel correctly will throw one of Walter's sermons out and say, "Well, what about this?" Well, what about it? <laughs> yeah. It's 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 just not it's not good. It's not precise. It's it's confusing the active and passive righteousness. Mm -hmm. It gets it right sometimes, most yeah. of the time maybe even. But yeah. uh, not always. But he's human. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. You can't, you know, you, you don't hit every pitch. No, that's why uh, if you're going to visit a church, you know, give your pastor, yeah. give that pastor at least three shots, I would say. At least. Yeah. I'd say give him three months. Just stick around, see what happens. Mm -hmm. If you're not church so, shopping, but you're, uh, <laughs> you have to bear with the inadequacies of every, every man right. that's called to the ministry. Yeah. You don't, you don't plant seeds in the garden and then basically tear the garden out a week later because you don't have anything growing. Or because a few of them didn't sprout. Right, precisely. Mm -hmm. So to repeat, on the other hand, those who lay out the law and works to the old man and the promise and forgiveness of sins, as well as God's mercy to the new man, represent the word correctly. The flesh, or the old man, should be tied to the law and works. And the spirit, or the new man, should be joined to the promise of God and his mercy. Therefore, when I see someone who has been bruised and battered by the law, more than enough bullied by sin, 
and thirsts for assurance, then it is time to change his focus from the law and act of righteousness and let him see a full display of the gospel, the Christian, and pass of righteousness. Beautiful. Yeah. This one excludes Moses and his law and offers him the promise made in Christ, who came for sinners and the distressed. Man is able to get back up on his feet with this, and the good hope is born within him since he is no longer under law, but under grace, Romans 6, 14. Mm-hmm. And this is key. As you pointed out with regards to Walther, so too with Luther. This is not, this is not Luther reading the, the scripture, reading Paul and saying, I think this is how this should play out in real life. This is the Luther who has heard literally tens of thousands of confessions mm-hmm. and gone through the monastery, gone through the peasants' revolt, gone through having essentially being forced to become Lutheran, quote-unquote Lutheran. Who's lectured through the scriptures, who's prayed the Psalms. Who's yeah. translated them, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so when he says this, he's saying this out of one experience, but experience that is informed by God's word, as you noted. And so this is no small thing for him to say this. This is, again, a distillation of decades, decades and decades of experience and work and being under God's word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's learned through his own personal experience how um, the law cannot um, mm-hmm. bring the righteousness that God demands. Right. He tried right. it. Yeah, this is, <laughs> these are not abstractions. Yeah. He was down that path. He, he right. lived that life. And to, to point, to make it most pointed, he stepped over the dead bodies of his congregation members mm-hmm. after the peasants' revolt, and it broke him. You can read it. I mean, he talks about it often after that. He talks about it in his sermons. That, that whole event broke him mm. because now he's like, oh, this is the consequence. Okay. Yeah, and you and I have had that experience when we have converts, you know, mm-hmm. that come from, from Rome and then, you know, generic evangelicalism, yes. both. Yes. And they don't want anything to do with that. Again, they're done. Correct. And then they Correct. come off being maybe a little, um, what's what's the word that we say? Zealous? Wild-eyed <laughs> zealots. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they really do, especially to dyed in the wool lifelong Lutherans. It's like, really? Why are you you're, you're right. that excited like, about easy, the catechism? Easy, yeah. Easy. Um, yeah. This is life-changing yeah, stuff, guys. Right. <laughs> you yeah. don't you, you don't get it? No, they yeah, don't actually. Growing up eating hot dogs and then being given a steak, filet mignon. Whereas the people that grew up eating filet mignon are like, why'd you just throw that do- that hot dog away? We could have saved that. We could have used that. It comes with ketchup and mustard. Are you kidding me? How can you throw that in the garbage? That's amazing. Well, at least we could feed it to the kids of the dog. Come on. Right. We just watched The Great Outdoors again the other night because apparently Annie had never seen it, which is a sin against my marriage. So John Candy, Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic 80s comedy. That's TV crowd, right? That's so good. But yeah, that whole scene where he's barbecuing lobsters <laughs> and Chet <laughs> brings the hot dogs. Yeah. Roman's like, you know what's in those things, don't you, Chet? <laughs> <laughs> so good because he actually said i guess i'm old-fashioned i like dot 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 which i can't repeat on this podcast but mm-hmm. yep. um lips and other things but nonetheless that is such a perfect example of the old adam right <laughs> you know it's in those things well i guess i'm just old-fashioned i guess i'm just a traditional kind of guy <laughs> i like tripe <laughs> so luther continues but how is it that he is no longer under law how is it that the new man in christ is not under the law anymore According to the new man, it is because the law no longer has anything to do with him. That is because the law reaches its boundary when it meets up with Christ. As Paul would later say, the law takes us to Christ. Galatians 3, verse 24. Mm -hmm. Once he came, once Christ came, he put an end to Moses and his law. Circumcision, 
sacrifices, Sabbaths, yes, even all the prophets. Tithing. Wow. Tithing, exactly. Mm -hmm. Whew. That's, that's a lot, man. It is. That's intense. Actually, that's probably a great place to stop. We're at an hour and 20. Yeah, I think that's good. And that's what we just read, which is, is we only really read two pages, three pages, really. Yeah. But those, <laughs> the, the last two pages, oof, 27 and 28 here. Yeah, and then he's going to get into the diagnostic, you know, how yeah. you might come to recognize this, how it plays out, which we've talked about too now. You've given right. some practical examples, but, um, you know, and the, I think the real challenge is that this is not just an academic exercise. It wasn't no. for Luther, it wasn't for Paul <laughs> with, with the church. It's not for us. And it's not for us either, no. Because I said, in the example that I used of the young woman, it's literally a matter of life and death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not just physical, but spiritual. Right. That literally, when a person comes to you, uh, as we were talking about, when a person comes to you and essentially pushes all of their chips to the middle of the table and goes, "I'm calling your bluff. What do you got? Show me your cards." Mm -hmm. If you, as a pastor, can't properly distinguish between law and gospel, you're going to throw a pair of deuces on the table. <laughs> when you got to come on the table and be like, "I've got five aces because I've got the wild card, Christ." Yeah. Yeah. Because as he says, the law meets its limit in Christ. The purpose of the law is to show us to Jesus, the pedagogy that Paul talks about in Galatians. Right. If if you try to smooth out the the situation with some kind of earthly righteousness. Well, mm -hmm. for example, it's legal, right? Correct. So, yeah, you'll be all right because it's legal. You know, it's legal in this country, yeah, yeah. you know, or whatever. Uh, that's not actually going to remedy the conscience. Like no. it'll, it'll stick to them forever. <laughs> right. You know, no, and that's exactly the point. Not only does it, is it a physical, a physical, almost like a phantom limb after mm. an amputation, that there's something missing. Um, because as a parent, you know, and as I've said, right, when my first son was born, yeah. I was changed. Yeah. Something happened. Um, I can't even imagine if what the doctor said was going to happen to my son actually happened and he died. Yeah. during birth so that I'm holding my own flesh in my hands and it's dead. One, I would be changed forever and I would carry that around with me, not only in an active sense, but in a passive sense mm -hmm. I could not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ without that. I can't hear the gospel now without thinking about that. And it's yeah. been 15 years because again, as a parent, you're awakened to the fact that you're not in control. <laughs> you're not in control of your child. You're not in control of yourself. You're not in control of the world around your child. And therefore, you become afraid of everything. There's not enough locks in the world to put on your door at night. There's not enough guard dogs. There's not enough self-defense that you can do that's going to give you the kind of peace in your conscience that says, okay, now they're safe. Yeah. Even if death does come for them. No, the Lord has my, you know, and my brother pastor, his son died mm -hmm. at 32, yeah. suddenly. Yeah. You think, oh, okay, we raised them. They're out of the house. They've got a job. They've got, you know, everything. They're good. They're good. And then, boom, you get the phone call. Yeah. And everything, done, shattered. This You're is, devastated. This has happened to me quite a bit recently. I know we're trying to tidy it up here, but mm -hmm. um, I've had a number of older people wanting to have a funeral for um, a child whom they buried but never had a service. They never heard God's mm -hmm. word. That's mm -hmm. happened to me more than once in my time here <laughs> in Chicago. It's pretty incredible yeah. because, because it's exactly what we're talking about. They, they recognize... It maybe took some time, um, mm -hmm. but that they were trying, they've been trying 
to ease their conscience. Maybe we could have done more because there, there mm -hmm. were extenuating circumstances, right? Right. Maybe right. we could have done more. Maybe like if we had, <laughs> right? And, maybe, maybe, maybe. And yeah. what they needed to hear is, the "Child was baptized." Right. Right. Jesus has him. Right. As Dr. Luther himself says, and this is a hard word, but when heard in faith, it's the best word of all. This child was chosen to be spared from having to live a life that is full of sin and temptation and the threat of death and damnation. That this child is a baptized child of God, faith bestowed upon them through the work of the Spirit, and they were taken from this world to Christ immediately and spared the suffering that you and I have to experience day after day after day. And so, in a again crosswise fashion, this child is the most should be the most to be envied. Yeah, far better to die and to be with the Lord, right? Paul exactly. Says. Yeah, to live as Christ, to die as gain, mm. and therefore it is better to be with the Lord. And yet, yeah, our hearts break, as you said, and there's an absence that cannot be filled with anything or anyone. And so, not until the resurrection. Not until the resurrection, and therefore, how do I get there ahead of time in the affirmative? <laughs> Baptism. Baptism, baptism, baptism. Yeah. Lord's table, Lord's table, Lord's table. It's all gift. Communion of saints. Right. And as Luther points out, passive righteousness is what we bear. <laughs> it is a burden because, as you point out most acutely, that that passive righteousness, yes, I believe. Yes, I believe I'm saved. Yes, I believe my child is in the resurrection already waiting for me. Yes, I believe that. But I still have to go home. Mm -hmm. And I still have that empty bedroom. And I still have the pictures or the keepsakes. Mm -hmm. I still have to carry around my own body and the memory and the, yeah. and the memory. Exactly. And so it's not one or the other. And again, this is the importance for me of the simile. I just don't believe if you don't live in that tension, you can really, really dig into this stuff and, and thrive. Mm -hmm. Or even live really. Yeah. That's what I mean. It really is a matter of life and death when you boil it down. Because to live in fear yeah. of, of punishment, of failure, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a way to go through life, son. <laughs> That's right. If Christianity causes you to groan, as Doctor Nagel said, you're you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but maybe it's because you're you need you you need the gospel. You need Christ and the gifts. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's because again you don't have Christ and the gifts, and therefore you're trying to do it under your own steam. And you think, well, if I if I just learn enough, if I just know enough, if I just do enough then maybe God will take this, this feeling away or, or maybe God will, will reward me and bless me, whatever that looks like. Hmm. And the answer to that is no. Mm -mm. Outside of Christ, what is their law? Yeah. And the law is given to increase the trespass. Just you and your, you and your sins. Yes, me and my shadow. Hmm. We have met the enemy and he is us. So let's end it there. We're going long on this one. So hope you enjoyed this yet again, Martin Luther's commentary on this St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians. We uh, thank you. Uh, we appreciate the support that you give to us. We thank you for all the awesome feedback and the encouragement, the phone calls, shout out to Marsh. Thanks for the call. Tell us that you like the podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, all the podcasts that Gillespie and I do, <laughs> all the different projects. Um, Come back next week. Uh, we'll come up with a brand new episode on Luther's Galatians lectures. Go buy Gillespie's coffee. Go to the Higher Things website and check out all the other podcasts, vlogs, articles, programs, Sunday school curriculum, VBS curriculum, everything that we offer here at Higher Things. And um, support Higher Things. You can you can actually click that uh, that little button. Give now. Yeah. Give now. 
would love it. And if there's anything that you would like us to read in the future, as far as being as Lutheran as it gets, send us a, a text or an email. And in we'll a few years when we get through Galatians. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, this will be our magnum opus. It might just become the show. <laughs> right, it just, we'll just change it to uh, Luther's Galatians commentary. But uh, yeah, in all things, and we really pre- if you think we, we deserve it, please subscribe and share the podcast with friends and family. Go subscribe. If you think we deserve it, also leave us a five-star review. I'm just trying to talk through the bump music so that he has to keep repeating the bump music. <laughs> I'll repeat it. We are, we are. But again, we appreciate all of you for listening and the feedback, and we love you. And come back next week, as I said, for a brand new episode. Peace. You summoned me, Dr. Frankenstein? Indeed I did, Igor. I wanted to tell you that I'm retiring from the business of monster creation to do something that requires even more genius. What's that, Doctor? Coffee roasting, Igor. There are so many wonderfully complex variables to busy my intellect with. Try the end product, Igor. It's brilliant. And delicious. Not bad, Doctor. But have you considered just ordering your coffee pre-roasted? Preposterous, Igor. No one else has the scientific attention to detail that this enterprise requires. What about coffee by Gillespie? Coffee by Gillespie? Christopher Gillespie is a master at selecting high-quality specialty coffee beans that are as sustainable as they are tasty. And to roast them to their finest, he uses traditional techniques combined with the latest technology. Something a scientist like you should appreciate, Doctor. Indeed, indeed. But the coffee, Igor, is it any good? Everything about Coffee by Gillespie is done with taste in mind. Gillespie even ships your coffee directly to your address, so it doesn't lose its delectable flavor sitting on the store shelf. You've convinced me, Igor. Coffee by Gillespie clearly has me beat for coffee know-how. Where may I get some? Just go online to gillespie.coffee and order any time. Let it be done, Igor. But opt for the decaf. Frankie can be a handful when he's had too much caffeine. (laughs) Coffee by Gillespie. It's brilliant and it's delicious.